freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports. We're going to do you, you're a manager. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Hello. Yep, hi, hello, Brock. Hello, uh, it is Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports 710, SeattleSports.com, Seattle Sports app, and... Uh, some fun today. Albert Breer is going to join us in 30 minutes on the day mandatory mini camps begin. He wrote a piece, led Monday morning quarterback with Geno Smith and the Seahawks. How about that? Pretty cool piece, too. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of fun football in there. Uh, there's a whole lot of documentation of what he did this offseason. You can't possibly read that mm-hmm. without having Russell Wilson come to your mind and then compare and contrast the two in the way they, they kind of go about their offseason. A similarity in, in work ethic, a very... Boy, a, a very different way to, to to put that out there to the people and to uh, to to how you want to express it to the public, right? Uh, but uh, you really, said, so you're saying Gino didn't have a vil, a film crew follow him to each of the people's houses when he went to go work with them? Let's ride <laughs> East West Empire. Let's ride. <laughs> Let's ride. <laughs> no, he didn't put another Lombardi Trophy on his cleats. No, no, he doesn't have his own field with his own logo. And you know what? Russell worked and earned all of those things. So I'm not just taking total complete shots at him. But yeah, Gino, Gino went to work and, uh, and Albert documented it very, very well. An article you absolutely need to read and yeah. give us some further detail on here soon. Yeah, mmqb.com. Uh, see if you can have an opportunity to read it in the next half hour before we talk to him. And uh, we'll do some uh, rapid fire uh, training, mini camp conversations here coming up at eight o'clock. So a lot of Seahawks stuff over the course of the morning. But uh, yeah, we'll start with the Mariners. They had their off day yesterday. Uh, we know that Andres Munoz probably going to be activated today. That's a small move. I'm guessing Darren McCacken ends up getting sent back down. Nothing major, right? I don't mm-hmm. know that Dylan Moore is back yet. It doesn't feel like he is quite yet. So I'm guessing that's going to be another few days at the very least. I just, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that, but any, any additional thoughts? I mean, I, I spent a while this morning kind of talking through Mora's point yesterday of, of, you know, Hey, maybe fans aren't happy that the team, that happier to be right but maybe they're hedging a little bit, right? Like either the either the team is good and I'm happy or mm-hmm. they're not good and I've I'm right, so I've 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 protected myself from the disaster of of having to be hurt by them. I mean, Again. I joked I joked yesterday about one of our callers being a coog, but I know coogs. I, I know I've known them my whole life. Uh, some of our greatest family friends were Cougar graduates and, and a Cougar football player and everything else, and so much of their life experience is. Oh, here we go. You know, the other shoe's going to drop. Something bad's going to mm-hmm. happen. The Cougs can't be really this good, right? They're going to build you up to let you down, and something's going to happen. But that's just the life of a Coug, and, and we accept it, and we love it, and it's why we have great community, and we're all in it together, and great fraternity, and great fun. But, you know, we have expectations all the time. And I think with Mariner fans, there is some of that. You know, there's some of that. I'm gonna I'm gonna temper my enthusiasm because I've been hurt an awful lot, yeah. been let down an awful lot. And and while last year was amazing, and my goodness, was it true what I've said to you for years, Salt? When they're gonna be good, this town will jump on it. And boy, did they ever! But I, I think I, that there yeah. is a tempering and a nervousness that hey, and and that's what you're seeing thrown out. I think by a lot of f- folks on the other side is, hey man, don't don't give me World Series expectations and then come out and play like this. 
right? Don't 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 do that to me. To, to that vocal, very loud, maybe vocal minority that is willing to put themselves out there. Like I, I don't want to hear that. You know, and I saw Joe Fan again last night <laughs> retweet the picture of, you know, World Series and expectations and, and, and we're not done and this isn't enough and the playoffs aren't enough and we're World Series contenders. And you know, I think that also has fueled a lot of that side when the underperformance has been as great as it's been offensively this season. Hmm. That, that makes sense or is it, it that do, just it, a lot of No, I, I think it does make sense. It continues to surprise me a little bit. I, I you know, look, I was talking about some weaknesses of mine earlier of which I have many. Uh, one of them is not feeling sadness, which apparently may or may not make me a, a sociopath because I, I try to understand what other people go through with sadness, but it's just not really a word. I would think Heather would know if you were a sociopath. I think she would. Again, I don't think I am a sociopath. I don't think that's the... the you you, tell you me feel th- sadness. Not in sport, though. This you makes feel you sadness. feel nothing. I don't really feel a lot of sadness. Now, I okay, usually just okay. this will just eventually make me angry. Like it just sadness usually turns to anger for me. And yeah. you know, I haven't lost I haven't had a lot of loss in my life. So I I, I maybe that's part of it as well. Anyway, mm-hmm. as we were kind of going through things I'm not good at today, maybe some other day we'll go through some things that I am good at if we can find a few. Um and I'm gonna get to some huge breaking news here in just a sec. Whoa. Um not well, it depends on who you are. Uh I don't think I'm very good at reading a room. Does that make sense? Wait, is that the breaking news? No. Okay. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I thought that was the breaking, breaking news. Breaking news, everybody. <laughs> oh, you want, the breaking news is CNBC is reporting the PGA Tour is agreeing to merge with the Live Golf Tour. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Whoa. So I am only seeing it in one place, CNBC, but it is okay. CNBC, which, you know, is a business group and yeah. people are kind of starting to talk about it. So I don't know exactly what okay. that means, but uh, yep. we'll see if we can dig back into that later today. I'm not very good at reading a room. I thought that Mariner fans would, after last season, put some of that behind them. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I don't know what else to say. I put it behind me. I was really excited. I was really optimistic about this season and, and sort of what they did. And I, I was telling these guys earlier, Brock, I know you read it. I wrote a long column last night that I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to publish. But the, the the thesis statement of it is, I think the Mariners had a good plan this offseason. They executed it terribly with the wrong players. And the results have been disastrous. Yeah. I really don't have a problem with their plan. I really don't to this day. And we were playing some Churchill sound earlier. Jason's saying the Mariners are just as talented as Texas. They are. Texas isn't more talented than you are. You have just as good a roster as they do. They're playing great. You're playing like crap. Straight up. And to me, that's not a plan thing. That's not a money thing. That's not any of that. You you chose the wrong players this year, and it's not working. And by the way, I don't know how you do choose the right players. I think that's really hard. Baseball's weird. It's inconsistent. A 300 hitter might hit 350 one year and 250 the next. And if you get him the year he hits 250, you look like an idiot. And if you get him the year he hits 350, you look like a genius. That's not an excuse. It's just sort of the way the game goes. But man, I, I got to tell you. Two years ago, Marquez, a pitcher for the Rockies, I compared to Felix Hernandez. He looked he's unbelievable. In the All-Star game. He looked unbelievable. He commanded five pitches. The next year, he's got a seven ERA. Last year, Alec Manoa was largely unhittable. He was in the All-Star game talking to John Smoltz and, and having the time of his life. He had a two ERA. He was a Cy Young candidate. This year, he's got a near seven ERA. He can't pitch. Goes point two of an inning yesterday and gives up eight more runs. I mean, he can't 
function. How, how do you explain that in baseball? How do you go from that side of the spectrum? You look at these Rangers. I know what Churchill is saying, and many listeners saw driving around, heard that, and just spit their coffee out. The Mariners' rosters as good as Texas. Are you out of your mind? But what Churchill is saying is look at their baseball cards. Look mm-hmm. at the history of Jonah Heim and these players and Garcia and the rest of them for these Rangers, one through nine. And, yeah, Simeon has been an all-star. Seager is an absolute stud. Well, so is Julio Rodriguez. Right and, and and you know and so are some of your Mariners that have perennially on their baseball cards looked and played nothing like they've done this season, and that's what makes it so difficult to project. And you know I appreciate the computers. The computers did say Salk I think pretty clearly before this year that as constructed with the DH the way they were going into it. This was a 82 to 85 win team. Yeah. And by the way, I should put that in as a caveat to what I said earlier about the plan. And that is in the column that I may or may not post. Maybe at this point I will. Uh, they screwed that up. That was not a good plan. The DH. The DH. They needed one more bat. They had an opportunity to go get it. The DH thing was a problem. There's no yeah. doubt. I understand what they were thinking, but I think that part of the plan was flawed. I don't know that it was a 10 game difference. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know whether that one bat would be any bigger than, than all of the other things that have gone wrong for them. But, uh, no, the wholesale underperformance of players who have been there and done it and even did it a year ago. That is why they are a game under 510 back now of the Rangers. And we're certainly going to talk to, uh, to Ryan Divish about that coming up at 830 this morning. You're telling me you feel nothing. Oh, 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 come on. Nothing at all. No. I feel nothing. I just want to hug you, Mike. Let me just hug you. What is it like to feel sad? How about the first dance? How about the first dance of Avery and you're going to give her away? Are you going to feel sad then? Is there going to be a tear then? No. I mean, I cry. <laughs> but generally with happiness or like a, like there's right. an emotion, but sad? I don't think I'm very good at reading a room. I don't think I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand by that for a while. I was thinking about that last night as I was up late. All right. Uh, coming up, we've got some breaking news, and it sure seems to be legitimate, Brock. I've got a statement from PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan. Wow. We'll throw that and everything else you need to know next to Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, an off day to catch their breath after the complete mess in Texas. Mariners in San Diego. Now they'll get back to it tonight. What do you think they discussed yesterday? I know there were meetings. What did they think about? What are they going to do about it? The reality is, Brock, with one or two exceptions, every single bat on this roster has underperformed so far this year. A lot of guys who got to look themselves in the mirror, figure out how to get them going. A lot of guys who got the future of this ball club and this season in their hands. And they got potential. They got talent. Something sure seems to be keeping them from realizing it. Yeah, and unfortunately, those Rangers just find ways to continue to win. A close game last night, a 4-3 win after sweeping away the Mariners. They have the Cardinals at home right now. They are now 10 games. It's now a double-digit lead in the division against you and as you've seen this journey uh, this season through almost 60 games tonight will be game number 60 for these mariners first it was scott service it was first scott service it was dad calling a meeting and it's my voice and, and let me try to speak into it second a couple weeks ago after you know it's a tough road trip and a big before a big homestand it was collectively a group of offensive players it was after that embarrassing sweep in texas the cal finally just kind of almost voiced what the fans have been voicing emotionally sick of it Getting our absolute butts kicked and playing terrible baseball. Will that be the spark, right? You know, you and I were talking off the air yesterday. And at each turn over the last few years when this team has hit bottom, 
right? You feel like, boy, gosh, just embarrassed. They're embarrassed in San Diego. They've been embarrassed over the years. They just bounce back collectively. Can they do it now after being embarrassed and outscored 30-9 to and swept away by the Rangers? Let's hope. Is this the point? They bounce back. Let's hope. Let's only hope. <laughs> Here's the second thing you need to know. Seahawks mandatory minicamp starts today. And last year at this time, we were real concerned about who the quarterback was going to be. And watching two guys battle for the job, a little bit surprised at how many more reps Geno Smith was getting. This year, that's not going to be surprising at all. He has cemented himself as a top quarterback in the game. Albert Breer, who wrote about that, will join us in 10 minutes to talk about it. I spoke to Jaron Reed a week or so ago, and he wasn't surprised by the kind of leadership Geno's shown at all. I'm not surprised at what Geno's that Gino's done and what he's accomplished because, um, like, my last... I was with Gino for, like, two years, the last two, if I'm not mistaken. And just watch him, and he was always prepared for anything that happened. Watching him in practice, going through the mechanics, it was just like watching Rook. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not, they're not the same players, same type of build, but I'm saying as far as how, how ready they are and how focused and how smart they are. So I'm not surprised at all. And, you know, when you got a quarterback like that, you know, especially that's a great locker room guy, too, and just go out there and play, guys won't go to bat for you. Yeah, season ago, it certainly was a quarterback. That was the headliner, right? You move on from Russell Wilson. Oh, my gosh. That was the titanic move of the entire offseason and almost all the NFL. And it was finding your quarterback, but it was also, I think, just as big an eye roll about finding your rookie class. Like, oh, great. yeah, right. We're going to rely on rookies? Really? I mean, how has that gone? How many of these rookies have really been impact players since 2010 and 11 and 12? Well, last year, there were a lot of them. I think that also, Salk, is something worth watching. It's been this whole last month that they've been drafted. I mean, this is the richest draft class they've had as far as capital, right, in that first round and throughout this draft and, and a lot of impact pieces. And can they assimilate and fold into this team and make an impact like last year's class? And if they do, man, you're talking about taking another step and closing that gap with San Francisco. Here's the third thing you need to know. All right, breaking news here. Just a few minutes ago, CNBC, the first to report that the PGA Tour has agreed to merge with the Live Golf Tour. And obviously, they already have their merger with the DP World Tour, creating a situation where all three of them are together. I got a lot of questions. First of all, are the live events now going to be televised? Are players going to go back and forth and play in multiple different tours? One thing I, that does seem to be clear is that Greg Norman's name is nowhere on the press release, meaning that I'm going to guess Jay Monahan and the rest of the PGA guys were not going to go forward if Greg Norman was involved in this in any way. And it seems like my guess is that's probably a part of this. But what a crazy, bizarre day, Brock. Is this going to be televised? Or am I now supposed to forget about all the sports washing issues that we've talked about over the course right. of the last few years? I don't right. want to forget about those things. I think it's dirty. I don't, I don't love this. No, and in even in that article and in that release, it made very clear that the Saudi fund is going to provide billions and billions and billions of dollars to continue to back this, yeah. to back this merger. You know, as Justin said off the air, like, does this feel like the PGA loses? Does this feel like they just kind of ceded we'll find to, out. The, to the live money and, and to that opportunity right now, reaction-wise, moments after it's happened? It certainly does feel that way. Tweet from Joel Damon. I've grown up being a fan of the four aces. Maybe one day I'll get to play for them on the PGA Tour. <laughs> That's one of the teams in the Live Golf Tour. All right, there you go. That's uh, everything you need to know. 
weird business and sports day, right? Between that and what's going on in Vegas, where they don't seem to be interested in funding the A's. Senate was supposed to have this special session, and now they're not going to even talk about it. So it sure seems like they're not interested in putting in a dime for the A's to build their stadium. And obviously, would you want to partner with those owners? No, would absolutely you, I mean, not. Would you, would you put that much skin in the game with an organization that has shown that they're just willing to? Well, to be the worst team that any of us have watched, at least you and I in our lifetime in Major League Baseball, and, and play in that facility and not invest in its resources. Yeah, at some point, you know, baseball, you would think, would have to step in and just say, all right, hold on. If, if Oakland can't work and no other city is going to want this team because of the owner, it's such a black mark on the sport. They're going to have to do essentially what the NFL did to to uh, Daniel Snyder, just force him to sell. Like you can't allow a team that nobody wants in their city. Yep. Right. That didn't work. I mean, that just certainly feels like it's staying your brand. And I gotta be honest with you, just this, the, the back end of all of this fun to the PGA kind of feels, I don't know. It just doesn't feel, it just feels feel dirty. Right. It feels it dirty, man. I, and now I'm going to drop all of the litigation and all the lawsuits. And yep. there are going to be a lot of details in this, but yeah, it feels like you just ceded to the billions. It, it sure billions feels that way. And that is, it doesn't feel good. I'm very curious mm. to see what the, you know, I'm going to wait on the details before we, you know, jump to any conclusion. I mean, I'm not sad. I'm not, I, I don't feel sadness. Okay. I don't, I don't get sad. I'm not There's sad. There's no reason to be <laughs> sad about it. I'll tell you what. Just, I'm going to have to figure out how to, like, you know, morally dis- figure out a way to watch this. I don't think I'm very good yeah. at reading a room. I'm going to have to, like, morally do some gymnastics in order to figure no, out it's pretty how clear. to continue it's, to watch no, golf. I don't think so. I don't think so. It's pretty clear. You're just going to watch college women's golf now exclusively. You're you know going to be the viewer. Yep. Totally fine with that. And not just college. LPG- the LPGA is not a part of this, right? I'm a college men's golf. Did you see that? Nine yeah. guys, nine different collegians qualified for the U.S. Open. Dude, I got to watch my guy, uh, Dumont de Chassart. Right? I mean, like, you know, there's... There's, there's a lot going on That's in college golf. Right. It's something close to that. <laughs> it's, it's a very long French name. I might not quite have it right. All right. Albert Breer will join us here in just a moment. He wrote about Geno Smith when he didn't have to. And that's next. I'm Brock and Salk. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. What a strange morning we're having here. Mariners off last night. The PGA Tour is merging back with Live Golf. Jay Monahan, the commissioner, is about to be on uh, CNBC, so we'll see if we can get some audio of that later. What a weird, weird day. And in the middle of it all, we've got Albert Breer joining us from Monday Morning Quarterback. Bert, you could have written about anybody this week with the start of mandatory minicamps, and you chose little old Geno Smith and the Seahawks. How about that? Yeah, well, I think it's a fascinating story, guys. And I remember talking to um you know, I remember talking to Pete Carroll about this, um, you know, towards the end of last season. And, um, you know, we were talking of, about examples of, you know, players that have had this sort of career arc and it's hard to find them and you have to go way back, you know, but, um, you know, I think the ideal is this plays out like Rich Gannon did, you know, a generation ago or like Jim Plunkett once did, you know, where, you know, a guy has an opportunity early in his career. It doesn't work out. He becomes a backup for a while and then reemerges later and, um, you know, really makes it work, you know. And um, I, I think, you know, it's what's interesting about it is that Gino always saw it coming. And, you know, I know you guys have probably been around him enough to see, like, the, the confidence he has in himself. Um, and he really did it the right way. And, you know, I think um, if I'm a Seahawks fan and I look at the way he spent his offseason – I think that makes it doubly interesting because, you know, he's 
still doing all the things that put him in position to, to have the year that he had last year. Was it still surreal at times, Bert? Did you still find yourself like, am I really going to write this about <laughs> yeah. Geno Smith? I, I think because Salk yeah, and I, you know, be- yeah, go ahead. It, it, it's weird because like you like the last, like our, I guess our last big memory of him before this was, was him getting, you know, him getting like, like taking a roundhouse in the Jets locker room um, in like whatever it was, 2015. Um, you know, and I think it, like, I, I would say like it, it takes, you know, a certain mental toughness, a certain discipline to, to be able to come back from something like that. Like, and, and look, like, I think it's a good um, lesson too on the fact that you never live down where you're drafted, you know, guys who are first round picks, um, generally get chance after chance after chance, right? Like Sam Darnold, for example, got a second chance in Carolina. Baker Mayfield got a second chance in Carolina. Um, you know, Josh Rosen got a second chance in Miami. Um, where those guys got a shot to be starting quarterbacks again, you know? And, you know, Gino, by virtue of where he was drafted going in the second round, um, wasn't going to just, you know, get that opportunity to start automatically somewhere else, you know? And, somebody trying to perform like a reclamation project on him. And so, you know, I think for a guy like that, who's, you know, drafted in the second round, it actually probably takes more discipline because you don't know when that next shot's going to come and you have to be ready for it when it does come. And, um, you know, very clearly he was, he was ready for his opportunity when it came along. What did you learn in talking to him? I mean, I, I just think like the, the drive, you know, I guess that was the main thing. Like I, I, um, you know, I, the whole premise for the story, like I got on the phone with him and I, I, I sort of didn't know where it would go. Um, and you know, the first thing I did was I, I, you know, I said to him, like, you know, I, I want to kind of like lay out your off season and how you're planning on building on all of this. And so like, let's go back to um, you guys getting eliminated by the Niners in the playoffs. Um, I'm assuming you take some, you took some time to decompress after that and kind of take stock of everything. And he stopped me. He's like, no, I didn't. You know, and he was the only player, um, I think, or one of the only players that stayed behind in Seattle, you know, after they lost the playoffs, outside of the guys who were rehabbing from injuries, um, and wanted to get a couple weeks in with the strength coaches to, you know, rework, um, you know, some things with his core and everything else. And then from there, it was right into throwing. And so, you know, I think where a lot of players would take that time to decompress, he wanted to build on the momentum that, that, that he had, um, you know, that, that, that he had built over the course of his, you know, first full season starting in, I think it was eight years. And, um, and then, you know, I, I think, you know, you sort of look at, you know, how that's rubbed off on some of his teammates. There's a lot of reasons to be optimistic um, about where he's going. And, you know, I think part of it too is the group the Seahawks come, have coming back and, you know, God, like that, that, that group of second-year players that look like they might be the foundation for a lot of things going forward. Could you write this piece for the Monday Morning Quarterback and spend all the time you did researching it and talking to all the people involved in it without associating Russell Wilson? <laughs> it's hard not to, right, I guess. Um, I, they were careful. I mean, I, the people I talked to were careful. But, I mean, like, look, like there's there's definitely a um, – I would say a juxtaposition. You know, I – I like. I thought what was so interesting about it, Brock, was I. I mean, did you guys know about all this work he was doing? No, right. Well, like, I, like, I, mean, I mean, I I had seen some of the videos from his production company that he carried around to all. Oh, I'm sorry, he didn't do any of that. that well, he goes north to south. Empire. <laughs> sorry, that's a different quarterback. You know what? I got confused on that. That's my bad. I mean, yeah, I mean that's the thing, though, right? Like, is like I was surprised about all this. I hadn't heard about all this because Gina didn't care to tell anybody, right? 
And, like, if Russ was doing this, like, we would have gotten a video from the Seahawks white room in January, right? Like, some, like, highly produced video. And I look like everybody does things their own way, but I, I think it's sort of interesting. And I, I think it probably, like, honestly, guys, like, probably goes a long way in explaining why his teammates have such great respect for him, you know, because he's not putting himself out front publicly of all these things, but privately he's very much leading the way, you know? And um, so I, you know, again, like I, I don't know whether or not he's going to be the quarterback of the Seahawks for the next five years. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's doing a lot of the right things to put him in position to have that shot. One of the lines that that really stuck with me and I sat there thinking, processing it, and whether or not it was true, or, or am I of that opinion? It was his QB coach, who obviously is biased, but he's a pretty renowned guy that works with a lot of different quarterbacks and ascending quarterbacks. And he said, if Geno Smith was 24, the NFL world would view him as a top five quarterback. Do you yeah. agree with that? I mean, I I, I put the, that question to Quincy because I thought I do think like a lot of these things, Brock are um, are colored by perception, right? And I mean, just forget the ranking. Like, how would you guys look at Gino if he was part of that draft class? Like, like so let's just say, like, instead of him being whatever thirty-one years old last year, let's like let's say he's part of that draft class. How do you look at the way he played? Oh, right. I mean, without your preconceived notions, right? You know it'd be what hard I mean? not to say that this draft class was as good as any they'd ever, you know, anyone had ever had to be on that list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like that's the thing is, I think a lot of this is colored by perception and. And, and, and of course it's different, you know, because if you've got a quarterback who's 23 years old, then, you know, you've got potentially 15 years of runway with the guy. So you don't have that. But, I mean, you know, like the dynamics have changed at that position. You can't hit them the same way you used to be able to hit them. Sports science has certainly made advances. So, you know, I I don't see why you wouldn't look at a guy who's going to be 32, I believe, um, as somebody who could be a quarterback for the next five or six years and be, you know, very much like what Alex Smith was in Kansas City, right? Like where Alex Smith got there with Andy Reid and gave them five really good years and bridged them to Patrick Mahomes, you know, and they made the playoffs consistently and allowed them to build the team up. Like, you know, and I I think, you know, if you do go back and you look at it and you look at the circumstances he was under in New York, they weren't great, you know? Like, I mean, I, I just... You know, and I, I think that that's something that gets lost a lot, too. Like, there are a lot of young quarterbacks that, you know, through no fault of their own, go through a lot of bad circumstances. Like, the, 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 the GM and coach that drafted Geno, like, and if you guys really want to go back and look at this, there was, like, enormous disagreement over whether to play him between the head coach and general manager, and then both those guys wound up getting fired, and the new guys come in, and they inherit him. And then the punch happens, and then you know Ryan Fitzpatrick plays great. I mean, it like it if you go back and you look at it, like the pathway to Geno making it in New York was actually pretty narrow, you know, and he didn't make it. And so, like I just think like a lot of times, like we look perception can color these things, and we don't look at each guy's circumstances, you know. Um, I actually kind of like went back and looked at it this uh, like in a column that's going up today. And, um, you know, in the 1920 and 21 draft classes, 12 quarterbacks were drafted in the first round. So in those three classes, right, 12 quarterbacks drafted in the first round. There's only one of those 12. And this is young guys who still has the same head coach and offensive coordinator he did when he was drafted, and that's Joe Burrow. He's the only one. Um, so, you know, a lot of times circumstances can affect where these guys go. 
Talking to Albert Breer uh, here on Seattle Sports, he wrote about uh, Geno Smith. And and while this is a story about Geno Smith, to me, the whole Geno Smith story is also about Pete Carroll. And you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier. What did I learn last year? That Pete wasn't holding Russell Wilson back. In fact, he was bringing out the best in Russell Wilson and, and maybe mm-hmm. even finding ways to minimize Russell's worst tendencies. And yep. a year later, I think I have to say he's done the same with Gino, that he has found a way to bring out his best qualities. And isn't that exactly what a head coach is supposed to do with his best players? Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, Gino's in a better position to appreciate the opportunity that's in front of him now and value the opportunity that's in front of him. I mean, I think one thing about Russ, he became such a big star so quickly. You know what I mean? Like, all that happened so fast. And... I think that that definitely had an effect on it. You know, all of a sudden you've got all these opportunities in front of you. Like Gino, like I think Gino's going to have a better appreciation of what's in front of him, better perspective, you know, and, and certainly they got the most out of him. Yeah. I mean, like how differently do we look at Shane Waldron now than we did last year? You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think you can look at like a lot of people in that building a lot di- differently. And, you know, I've always thought like Pete's got a really good sense for people, like really, really, great emotional intelligence, right? Like, so he understands what makes people tick, how to get the most out of people. And I think schematically too, you know, you see some of the things that they were able to do for Gino to to, to get him going sort of dovetails with, I think the fact that like they knew what was best for Russ all along. And when Russ finally got what he wanted, which like play me like I'm Peyton Manning, play me like I'm Tom Brady. How did that look? Right? Like Denver gave him what he wanted. And and now, you know, a year later, Sean Payton's coming in there and Sean Payton's going to be hard on him. And Sean Payton's not going to do things the way that Russell Wilson is, you know, like like he's not going to he's not going to follow directions on the way to run his offense, you know. So um, I think it's a it's a great lesson in getting the most out of players. And even to some degree with some quarterbacks, like the way they want to do things isn't always what's best for them or their skill set. Uh, last thing for me here, uh, Bert, if you had to invest uh, and buy stock <clears throat> into Russ or Gino in 2023, who are you invested in? <laughs> That's a tough question. <laughs> I, I I would say Gino because I think Gino's like in a, in, a, in, in a more stable situation right now, and the team is more invested in him. And that sounds weird because Russell's got the huge contract, and the Seahawks can get out of this contract after a year. And the, the the Broncos are would have a really hard time getting out of that contract after this year. I would not ignore the signing of Jared Stidham in, in Denver. And I know that sounds crazy, but they gave him five million dollars a year. And I think to some degree for Sean Payton, like Jared Stidham's gonna be like a baseline. Like, look what I can do with Jared Stidham, right? Like in preseason games and practice, look what I can do with Jared Stidham. So you be better you better be on it, Russell. Because if you don't, I'm not afraid to walk away from you, you know. Um, and again, I know it sounds crazy because Jared Stidham has been a backup for his four years in the league, but I do think that that was kind of an under the radar signing that should not be ignored. Um, and I think that, like, you know, there's, I, I think, and you've seen it since the start. I mean, you saw a look on Sean Payton's face when he said whatever it was, um, like that he's not familiar with <laughs> with the idea of the quarterback having an office in the building, right? Um, you know, I, I think there's there's definitely a new sheriff there in Denver. And, you know, I think it's Sean Payton's show there where 
I think in in um in 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 in, in Seattle, there's much more of a partnership between team and player at wow. this point. Which again sounds wild. If you think if I had told you that a year ago, you would have you know you would never have me on again, right? Like that that would happen. But uh, but but that's the way it's played out. Don't be silly. I'm sure you've said sillier things in your life than. And we that. would have I mean, you on. Of course, Bert. we'd I mean, have yeah, you I on. Have, I have I have I have sworn on. <laughs> right, that's true. So. Yeah. <laughs> so might as well be Florida. I think I heard from you at some point. Hey, none of this is wilder than whatever the heck is going on in golf today. So you know, it's uh, it's yeah, how about that? Like, so does that mean like the PGA Tour is like you know? Full partners with the Saudi government. Now. It, it kind of wild. feels that way. And we're just learning now. I was going to talk about it in a little later. That they didn't tell any of the players. So Jay Monahan's going to go meet with all of the tour players at I think four o'clock Eastern today. They're going to be so mad. Oh, after- I mean, so what happens? Like, so. All right, so like obviously, like Phil, like makes out like a bandit here, right? Like, and all those guys that took the money, like. Or like Tiger and like Rory, and are they just like SOL? I mean, those guys turned down hundreds of millions millions of dollars dollars. out of out of loyalty, yes, and morality, yes. And instead, oh my gosh, what an like it's a double cross, man! Wow, what a crazy situation! All right, hey buddy, seriously appreciate it. We told everybody, we'll tell them again. A great article on uh, on Geno Smith, worth the read. He leads Monday morning quarterback as we head over to mandatory minicamp for the first time today. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. All right, great. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. There you go. There's Albert Breer of Monday Morning Quarterback. There's a lot to uh, come back to in there for sure. Right now, it's a little blue eighty eight. This is Brock and Salk's Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Heward breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Man, how about all of that, Brock? It really is wild. Like, you peel the the layers back a little bit, and it, it starts to get wild. And for those players, the, the Rory's and the Spies, mutiny. Like, what are you talking about? Right. You caved? We didn't cave. We didn't cave to the hundreds of millions that we were because given. Because now they're going to make hundreds of millions, right? I mean, you got to imagine that with all the all the Saudi investment that's now going to be there, billions of dollars. But they'll never never get back what Kepka and Phil and they all might. the rest of them. I mean, they might be made free. whole in some way, but they didn't want that money from a spot that they thought was dirty. Correct. Now they have to take the dirty money? I guess they can refuse it and be like, hey, I'll play in the PGA Tour, but I'm not taking that money? What a, what an absolute nuts situation, man. Absolutely yep. nuts. Can't wait to see what happens now. Like, I'm glued to this. I'm sorry. I know we're supposed to talk about other stuff, but this is just uh, pretty crazy. All right, Blue 88, Brock. Let me talk uh, Ken Walker here for a moment. Yep. Uh, he he looked great in in uh, the the uh, voluntary workouts that we saw, and obviously he's going to be the guy when he gets out there today. He did speak the other day, I think it was on Friday, about how things took a little while for him to truly understand. Probably the Chargers game was the, really when everything slowed down. You know, after the first start versus uh, Cardinals, it was fine, but then the Chargers game is when uh, I felt real comfortable. So what does he have to do next? What is the next step for him? Well, I think the great thing is he's got a guy behind him that is pushing him every step of the way. We're going to get into this conversation with Divis. Ryan Divis is going to join us at 830, and and we're going to have a big discussion about motivation in baseball, (laughs) right? Because this whole thing has blown my wires, right? I like being incentivized. Like, I, I really believe in it. 
And I thought Teo and, and these guys at one-year deals would be incentivized, and it seemed to have blown up uh, in, in my face and their face, unfortunately. But I still feel very strongly that essence of competition, being incentivized because there's somebody breathing right behind my neck that mm-hmm. wants my job and is uber-talented, and there is not much difference in skill set and strength. And, in fact, that guy may bring even more tools to the table in some areas than I bring. So the drafting of Charbonnet, I think, continues to hone and sharpen Ken Walker's game. He has been committed like Gino's been committed this offseason. He has been around. He has not been fat and happy and satisfied off of a tremendous rookie year, but knows that there are areas that he can continue to grow and develop. The difference between him and Charbonnet is, is Zach went to Michigan and learned right away in the Big Ten and everything else. Like, okay, yep, I got to run into darkness. And for Ken Walker in junior high, in Pop Warner, in high school, in college, even at Michigan State, you know what? There's darkness. Let me bounce it out, juke three guys, and I'm to the house. That's not the NFL. So when he said, hey, the game kind of slowed down enough in that decision-making process enough that I realized when I could maybe bounce it, but more importantly, when I had to run into the yards and get those yards, very, very added experience and benefit. All right. uh, Question number two. I, I know you were quite enamored with the picture of me and Mike Morris and how much bigger than me he was and how small it made me look. Did Morris, Did you send him the other picture where we looked yeah. a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I did. Did it change your I mean, view at still all? Looked, he still looked massive. Okay. You didn't look like Kirchner. You looked like passing in that picture. All right, but at least I look like a normal human. He's huge. Yeah. Yes. Is, can he succeed right off the bat? I mean, like, what are we looking at here with Mike Morris? Well, he, you know, we've gone through this with the different rookies and the adjustments they're going to have to make. I will be very curious at his pad level. He's because so tall. he is tall. Yeah. He, yeah, he is tall, right? And and he is long, and he's trying to put that weight on, and there's a reason he still looks lean and mean at 300 pounds because he has tremendous length. Eric Armstead? If he's going to, yeah, he, he's done it. He's shown he can do it to force Buckner as a tall, giant guy. I remember I mean, they shown... talk about the two guys in Jacksonville, Stroud and Henderson. Wasn't oh one of them super tall? Henderson was 6'7". Right, it was I mean, Henderson. Just, yeah, was Stroud massive. was small. It was shorter and squatter, but Henderson was huge. A little bit. He was 6'5". I mean, they both oh, were really? gigantic guys. So trying to trying to play with pad level, and, and especially with added weight. Right, He's a tweener. Right? He's a tweener. That's why he fell to the fifth round. He's a little bit in between. LJ Collier was a tweener. Now, he, this guy is bigger, and he is longer, and he's got, more, you know, I think some, because of that, a little bit more upside than LJ had, but when you play on that edge, on that outside, it isn't as much about pad level as it is on the inside, and okay, so I put on 30 pounds, I add this weight now, can you play down, can you yeah, play well. with leverage? When you watch those guys, Mike, and they still, I think, have those shoots out on the practice field, right, those, those bars where they try to play under and, and fire off and stay low and, and and play, that will be the question. He can add the weight. He's a tremendous athlete for his body. He's got great charisma. I understand taking him where they took him in the fifth round. Now can you play with leverage with that new added weight? That will be the adjustment. All right, question him. number three. Well, you knew we were going to get this in here somehow. Jamal Adams is in town. Brock, you saw pictures of him yesterday. What did you learn? I did. They took all pictures. It was great. Uh, Tyler Lockett photobombing DK was the highlight of, I think, the whole picture show. Yesterday is about the national uh, broadcast getting their video, right, for starting lineups and getting their headshots and all that good stuff. And I'll, I'll tell you, and this is just my eye test, Jamal looked like a linebacker. I mean, in a good way, not not in a bad way. He is he has worked his butt off this offseason. And Albert Breer could write an article about him and all the stuff that he is doing because he knows. He knows he's up against it. He knows his career is at a crossroads, that he's got to stay healthy. He's got to perform 
or he's not going to see the rest of this of this mega contract nor get another contract elsewhere. And I thought he looked I mean, if you put him, this is just looking at the media pictures. You put him and Devin Bush next to each other, and you say, which one's the safety and which one's the linebacker? Is that a comment about Jamal Adams or about Devin Bush? No, I think it's about both of them. That, you know, this is a hybrid league a little bit. You know, there is an extra supply of talent at safety. You bring in Julian Love, you you, you draft, you know, a kid in the sixth round that's been a highlight. Pete's loved and, and talked about Jarek. There's some supply at safety. There's not a lot of supply at linebacker. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Maybe Jamal is going to play around that line of scrimmage and play in that box much more than he much more than he ever has in Seattle. He did a lot of it in New York, became an all-pro player because of it, was a blitzer and a run stuffer and was all around. He's almost a hybrid linebacker in that system there. Mm-hmm. You may see him around the line of scrimmage a lot more this season than we ever have seen a safety in Seattle. All right, that is Blue 88. Three good football questions for Brock and, and really good stuff. And gosh, I, we're going to come back to, to the Seahawks throughout the day. I'm just, my mind is just blown by this it PGA is. thing. I knew it would. I, I knew I knew when you were like breaking news, big breaking news. Well, for some, and I'm like, well, for you, yes. And for the rest of, the, I mean, for you, it's gigantic. And for the rest of the sports world, it's going to start to be because, as you said, the tentacles that come off of this, yeah. the different layers to it. Like, well, and, and I asked this question when Liv first started a couple of years ago, and I don't know that I still know the answer. Okay, they've succeeded now in golf, right? This is a level of success. They built a rival league and then found a way to merge with the big league. Could they do this with other sports? Mm-hmm. What's the, the the money is endless, right? Remember the 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 fund makes over a billion dollars a day, so the money is essentially endless. Okay, they've decided to go after golf in the what you know appears to be this sports washing you know campaign. They've now had success two years in. If you were in charge of that, what would you do next? I know what I do. I go after the NBA. There aren't that many players. There's some unbelievable star power, similar to how it is in in uh, in uh, golf. golf. Mm-hmm. There's some worldwide appeal, more so There's than in many other of leagues them that have already shown that through their relationships with China and, and through their endorsements that they're willing to look the other way. Yep. Right with with some of what's gone on in that country. That is the and, first and thing policy. that I would do is I I would be looking at the NBA and saying, can I take this league down next? <laughs> the NFL would be hard. It's so big. It's so massive. There's so many players that I don't yeah. know whether you could pull it off. Certainly not right. Not next. Same with baseball. The leagues and the and the development and like there's so much complexity there. Yep. I don't think they would care about the NHL, but the NBA. That's what I'd be looking at mm-hmm. if I were if I were in charge of that fund and, and trying to go down this road. And God knows if that'll ever end up happening. But what a weird, crazy wow. day as Liv merges back with the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. All right. Mini camp starts today. We've got some rapid fire questions to answer, Brock, including an important one that I know I've got to hear your answer to. It's next. Brock and Salk. Seattle Sports on 710. SeattleSports.com.